You are listening to My Top 10 TV Podcast. Hello and welcome to another splendid episode of My Top 10 TV Podcast. We've had some really lovely comments and thank you for those who've liked and shared the podcast. We really appreciate it. And we've had some great Top 10 sent into us. In particular, this one we loved. And it's from Helen and her Top 10 TV is a cracker. Helen's top 10 goes number 10, The Royal Family, 9, Dharma, the true crime drama, number 8, Mad Men, 7, Schitt's Creek, 6, Ghosts, 5, Game of Thrones, number 4 was Frasier, 3, Chernobyl, number 2 is Breaking Bad, and her number 1 choice is Stranger Things. A fantastic top 10. If you've got one, then get it into us at X or Twitter and on threads. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so on to this episode, and what a guest we have. Formerly at the Radio Times, she has now moved to be the Deputy TV Editor for Reach PLC, so a fantastic contributor to the My Top 10 TV stable. So without further obfuscation from me, enjoy Laura Morris and her Top 10 TV picks. Thank you for having me. I, it was a really hard question, I have to say. I really um, agonised over what to put in my list. And I was also thinking, like, oh, I want... A variety of genres as well yeah. because it was looking at one point just like very sitcom he- heavy and it still is to an extent but um it's very hard <laughs> L- listen no shame in that massive fan of sitcoms try- worked on a couple tried to write a few so uh yeah no i absolutely follow that so right okay then so uh yeah thank you very much for this this is uh lauren morris's uh top 10 telly tv so why don't we start off with your number 10 so i my number 10 is a bit of a a potentially controversial so for number 10 I went with Love Island it was a toss-up between this and um the traitors yes UK version um but in the end I went for Love Island and I'll tell you why yes I'm I'm interested to hear the reasoning (laughs) rationale behind it um well it's by obviously by no means a perfect show it's had so many problems (laughs) as 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 has been well documented however it's just I just felt like it was such a big part of the zeitgeist a few years ago, particularly when it blew up, I was at university and while we were revising for exams, the one thing we could all rely on doing in the evening um, and making time to definitely do would be at nine o'clock to sit down and find out what was happening with Kem and Chris and, you know, that kind of generation of Love Islanders. Uh, I, it was it's just It was just such addictive TV just brought drama in a way that kind of reminded us of the Big Brother days, you know, a slightly different generation. So that's why I put it on. Um, it's still going, obviously, but it's just not as good as it was. Um, and it's just not as groundbreaking anymore. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was like, I need to represent reality. And I guess one of the biggest shows that I've, not only watched, but also then ended up covering over the years, has been Love Island. It, it made couples who wouldn't normally watch television together watch television. And that's that's no mm. mean feat, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I think it does have its place in sort of the pantheon of, you know, sort of shows that have made a, a real kind of mark on TV. And I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it, it's, not, it, it's not my viewing, but I think... Obviously, with the sort of tragicness of, of, you know, obviously Caroline Flack, which is, you know, just still horrendous to think about. I think 
it kind of lost its sheen from them because it was always there was always that shadow hanging over it, which I think is unfortunate because I think, you know, Laura Whitmore clearly did a good job and still very good, very competent presenters. Ian Sterling still doing a great job. But mm-hmm. I just, yeah, it probably has just in the last couple of years kind of lost that sort of crown of it being kind of must-see appointment TV. Whereas the one you mentioned that didn't get in, Traitors, I... D- devoured i absolutely loved mm-hmm. it even going on to watching the australian and the american version just because Brilliant. i just think the format was so well done and the the whole idea that you know because we've seen you know the mole and we've seen traitors in, in big brother and that kind of thing but to kind of see that um you know subterfuge and kind of you know basically telling lies to try and survive a game show it's such a compelling format. I, I, mm-hmm. I did think it was brilliant. So, so maybe we kind of we have a joint number ten of Love Island <laughs> and Traitors because it kind of spans the narrative arc of what sort of constructed reality TV has become now. And and I think both of them are e- equally, equally uh, you know kind of competent to be in that top ten. Oh, definitely. And I mean, reality. It just shows you how much reality TV has changed. Traitors is such a nice show because they're just playing a game at the end of the day. Like obviously, they get emotional and they get upset. Um, but you know, it's not real life. Whereas in the heyday of Love Island, they were doing things on that show, or allowing things on that show that they've now obviously brought in. Um, yes, they brought in safeguards. Um, but back in its heyday, and the same with early noughties reality TV anything almost went and it's good how it's changed and it's definitely changed for the better well i I can i can i can wholeheartedly agree and have some experience because i used to produce the villa for sky Um, yeah which was basically a a sort of precursor to love island really where we Mm. took we took four young handsome men four good looking you know women over to a million pound villa and basically see what kind of transpired and, and essentially who woke up in whose bed every day <laughs> was pretty much the idea of the program um and it was tawdry and it was nasty and it was horrible but you know what for sky it was a massive hit and from my point of view you know i basically got to spend six weeks in spain you know following mo- ma- mainly drunken idiots around um and filming them and then basically sitting for two weeks in london editing it trying to make them look as bad as they really were so yeah it kind of it reality tv does have a massive place and especially in, i think in uk television there's a because a lot of the time we've kind of broken formats and we've we've really kind of sort of you know i mean i mean even remember the dark days when there was um there was a, a reality show which actually a friend of mine pitched and, and got made and it was called uh, the something about miriam oh, yes i know about the show yeah and it, oh it and it, I mean, it, got, it got into an awful lot of trouble and i think it was sky at the time was the broadcaster and they got into an awful lot of trouble as well so it just shows you that the reality tv can go dark yeah definitely there's a really interesting not to plug another podcast but there's an interesting bbc4 one about just the the oral history of reality tv and in one pop uh, one episode um they talk about this something about miriam and another one um i can't remember what it's called now but it was hosted by dana o'leary and it's where the contestants had to try and stay awake for the longest amount of time i think it's called shattered yes yes and it was, they used to do things like um, you had like a granny reading them a bedtime story uh, or they had to watch paint dry yeah. And, yeah. and to try and lull them to sleep. And then the person who stayed awake the longest won, I think it was only, it, compared to prizes now, it was yeah. something like 
£10,000. Like, it wasn't that much money. Yeah. But people were doing it. And in the end, they had to introduce a rule where they could have naps or something like that because otherwise, psychologically, they yeah. go to bits. No, so really. brilliant, brilliant. So listen, that that's your number ten, Love Island, and the first one to mention it as well. So uh, so well done for getting that in. So please do introduce us to your number nine. So number nine, um, again, one that not everyone may be familiar with, but it's uh, an American sitcom called Broad City. Um, it was on Comedy Central in the sort of early 2010s, I'd say, and it uh, was written by and starred um, Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazer. And they sort of played their own namesakes. It was the exaggerated versions of themselves, essentially. And they're these two um, Jewish-American 20-somethings living in New York City. And it's one of those sitcoms where there isn't a huge amount of overarching storyline. It would just be them sort of getting into shenanigans. And that was what I loved about it. I, I just felt like... I feel like this is a big theme in my list, like 20-somethings just <laughs> messing about. Yeah. Um, but there's something about it that I love so much. I love to live vicariously through it. Um, it was kind of like a modern-day Sex in the City kind of um, sitcom. And if you haven't seen it, it's just – it's very funny. It's great. Perfect, perfect. A beautifully distilled um, kind of a description of uh, of Broad City. N- not one I'm overly familiar with. I think it's very much part of the American tapestry that kind of Jewish humour is 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 very it's very cutting and very mm. kind of sarcastic, but you know ultimately very funny. Mm. And what I think I loved about it as well is they are as characters very unfiltered. They're not afraid to be crude. I guess like a, a feminist comedy because it just completely messy. It's like a a much funnier, lighter flea bag almost. Okay, yeah, fourth, yeah, yeah. Without the full fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Um and it's yeah, it's it's really good. It's one of those I watched it a lot in the pandemic and I think it's because I couldn't go out and get into silly situations and mess about with my friends. So I'm going to watch them do it and yeah. live through them. <laughs> As you say, a vicarious watch. So, uh, yeah, and we all, we all need them and all love them. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go on to your number eight and I have to say, I'm so pleased to see this in a list. It's the, <laughs> it's the first time it's appeared, which amazes me, but please do tell me your number eight. Oh, so number eight is one of my all time favorite shows. Uh, I'm so glad it's still going. Gogglebox. Oh, it's just one of the best TV shows. And I know it appeals to someone like me and someone like you who sort of work in TV and write about TV and their lives in TV. Um, But it's just, it's just so lovely. It's so wholesome. Um, And the idea of watching someone else watch TV sounds absolutely ridiculous and a lot of people would be like, why on earth would you want to do that? But there's something, sometimes when you are watching TV with your own family, the best bits is the are the, the commentary, the yeah. commentary yeah. on news items and the biggest drama to happen, like the latest line of duty episode. 
that can be the best bit and it just enhances your whole viewing experience. So that's why I love Gogglebox. Because the genius about it is the fact is that you listen to people's opinion looking at a programme that you may not have seen and then you will go and watch the programme because of what they've said about it. And also the fact is that the people who have been there for the longest amount of time are the most comfortable and they're usually the best ones to watch. So, you know, you've got Pete and his little sister in Blackpool. Uh, you know, you've got Jen and her caravan. Uh, you know, you've got the Siddiquis who are just just brilliant. And it's the, what I love about it is that it's so diverse, which obviously ticks a massive box for Channel 4 anyway. But also, they do choose programs that genuinely you kind of go, well, I've not seen that and I wouldn't mind seeing it. It also does serve up programs that you go, nope just not even going there it's you know it wouldn't do it for me but at least you're you've got the choice to be able to miss it or not just to be honest it just gets stronger and stronger and what as as you just said like it it's an amazing advertising tool for tv shows i think i was speaking to a producer and they were like it's the best thing if your show gets on gogglebox whether they're they're saying it's brilliant or they're taking the mickey out of it it's still just amazing advertising and it worked the other day i was watching it and i hadn't seen hijack yet on apple tv plus but they did the whole end section on it and i was at my parents house and we were like oh let's that looks good let's watch that so so many times me and a friend we'll watch something on tv and we'll say that'll be on gogglebox because you yeah. just know the type of things that they they pick up, and especially you know, obviously, it's been a fairly tumultuous time politically, and it's been very interesting watching them, watching some of the news and the reaction they have. Because you know, this is this is real people, and this is kind of their opinions, and and it does fly against a lot of kind of what maybe some some will call BBC bias or whatever it is. So you do feel as if you get the real story from them. So yeah, no, I absolutely love it, and being your number eight is just brilliant. So uh, fantastic. <laughs> right onto your. Show number seven, and oh my God, we've heard so much about this show, but please feel free. I May Destroy You. Um, oh, this came out a few years now ago now, but um, it's Michaela Cole. Um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, she, she plays a Twitter star who's writing a novel. She goes on a night out, um, and after she's spiked, the next day she's... She's struggling to remember what happened to her and what transpires is she realises she's been sexually assaulted. And the rest of the series follows her as she's sort of trying to deal with that and process it in her own way. Um, And it's just so interesting. It's darkly humorous. It's funny in parts. Um, But overall, it's just an amazing, complex portrait of what trauma like that can do to a person and how someone navigates that once that's happened to them it was such talked about tv at the time and for good reason just because it's so well written the performances are amazing um and it's one of those things where i don't think you go back and watch it again but you have to watch it yeah it's also one of those programs that you know kind of anybody of any kind of you know erstwhile merit within the industry says yeah that was that was a big ticket item um and i know kind of you know hayley campbell and scott bryan and boyd hilton all listed it and actually it didn't make boyd's top 10 but he gave it as a special reference because it was he found it so difficult but definitely wanted to mention it um i think it was done brilliantly um and also just kind of the the, the, the sort of the execution of that kind of character's narrative is 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 just brilliant and it it's just great again another another reason to say why you know new uk uh content is just so good and so strong brilliant okay on to your number six again plaudits for this i absolutely love it but please tell us your number six so number six is sherlock 
Uh, and it's, oh, it's been quite a while since this has been on TV. But again, I just feel like one of the, I was a sort of young teenager when this first came out, but I remember it being one of those proper water cooler moments. Like at school, um, everyone was talking about Sherlock. And that was also when I feel like Twitter reached its peak and Twitter was just ablaze with theories and comments and obviously it made Benedict Cumberbatch a star which I always forget I always forget that it was Sherlock that did that and now he's um Doctor Strange but um, just a megastar he's just incredible now he's just massive but it all began with his floppy head uh performance as Sherlock but also you know kind of in terms of legacies of shows i mean you know martin freeman's not not got many flies on him either because i mean obviously yeah. he's he's gone from he obviously came from the office originally but then was in sherlock and that was kind of his moment to kind of come out and you know he's been in you know massive shows he was in you know obviously Far- fargo massive tv show he's now in the marvel universe as well you know he's kind of he's done he's had an amazing career and i think both of them in terms of they were a great fit they were opposite to tracked effectively. They were Chalk and Cheese and, and Sherlock. And obviously it being Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis as well, you know, just kind of what a rich vein of kind of creative power that that, that show had behind it. I mean, I think they've, they've stopped it, but only because Benedict and Martin are so busy. I think they'd continue going if, if they could have, um, but they're so hectic. But I am glad. I feel like it came to a close at the right time. Um, and to be honest, I'm still confused about how Sherlock faked his death. Mm. Oh, um, listen, I mean, there was a number of times I'd be watching that program thinking, oh, yeah, this is great. I understand, I understand. And then I'd be like, no, no idea. No, don't know what's <laughs> going on. But you could still enjoy it. You could still enjoy the performance. You could still enjoy because it was their relationship. I mean, obviously, you know, even back to, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle days when he wrote it, it was about the relationship between Holmes and Watson. Um, so, yeah, no, I just uh, I absolutely, absolutely loved it. And a, a fine pick for your number six. You are listening to my top 10 TV podcast. Send us your top 10 TV shows, list them from 10 to 1, and we will read out the best. So my top five. Um, for number five, I've gone with Atlanta, um, the Donald Glover surreal drama. And um, for those who aren't aware, Donald Glover um, plays this Princeton dropout who um, decides to manage his cousin's up-and-coming rap career. And the first series seems pretty straightforward, kind of follows that narrative. And then I don't know what Donald <laughs> what Donald does, but he just, from series two onwards, it just goes off in this really surreal, wacky direction. He starts doing a load of bottle episodes um, and it it just the whole series kind of, says a lot about society and race relations and the state of America. Um, I can't recommend it enough. And it just leaves you feeling very unsettled, very weirded out at points. Um, It's hilarious at other points and scary in others. And I, I read an interview where Donald said that that kind of unsettling feeling is supposed to represent like how black people feel living in America. Oh, wow. Um, so it's it's such an excellent show. I can't recommend mm. it enough. Oh, brilliant. I shall definitely look out for that. It's not one that has kind of come across my sort of TV agenda, but I shall definitely look out for that. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, okay, on to your number four. Uh, number four is The Vicar of Dibley. Um, 
What a classic, absolutely classic show. I feel like it's Richard Curtis at his best. Um, and obviously Dawn French. Dawn French is just a superstar in it. And it's the show I remember that at the earliest point in my life, just me and my whole family sitting down and laughing together because it's, it's just universally funny. Um, Dawn French is, well, Geraldine is just so endearing, so silly at times, um, just so brilliant um, throughout the whole thing. And also just, it was amazing to see in the 90s, just like plus size representation like that. I feel like you don't get that in many shows at that time at all, unless it's, you know, poking fun at that demographic. Um, because I guess the 90s were that kind of like heroin chic time. <laughs> but Dawn French is just, uh, it's just so lovely to see her be celebrated yeah, in that no. Absolutely, and a lovely way to put it, absolutely. And I think also part of its charm as well was the fact that what a fantastic ensemble cast it had as well because everybody kind of, you could see everybody kind of pulling their weight and doing the job and, you know, make, making it funny. And, you know, they I think they knew that, obviously, you know, as an actor, when you get a good script, that it's going to be, if you can get the right people, it's going to be great. And and it, and it was. And as you say about Dawn French, I mean, she's a national treasure. There's no two ways about it. And it also, again, a performer that just is able to spot and pick fantastic roles for herself um and she's not not afraid to kind of you know sort of take the piss out of herself or take the piss out of the character she's very good at doing physical comedy and slapstick but she's also very good at the kind of the vo the vocal stuff as well she's clearly kind of you know quick-witted she writes her own stuff with jennifer as well so she's got all of that behind her so i think all of that came together that, and it just it was like the perfect little melting pot uh, and, you know, even, you know, it, it's one of those shows that I think, you know, sort of in excess of 16, 17 million people sat down at Christmas to watch the specials. So you always know a show's really kind of hit the zeitgeist when that amount of people are sitting there watching it. And again, it, you know, it appears on, you know, sort of classic lists up and down. You know, there's, there's lots of people who, who still rate it as being in their in their sort of top TV programs and especially British comedies as well. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that, pud that puddle scene. I still think about that all the time. It's just amazing. Well, um, I mean, it's just it's because it was so beautifully ex executed as well. Because you know, kind of because it was within that episode where she's kind of having a a romance with Clive Mantle was the actor. Yes, um, I think so. Yeah, yeah. In incredibly tall. So obviously that was funny anyway. But because the, they were kind of having this lovely day and kind of in the day in the countryside and spending time together, and then you, you, they were just walking down a you know a, a muddy you know kind of farm track and then yes she jumps in this puddle and disappears up to her neck it's absolutely <laughs> genius and i'm sure when she either read that in the script or when they kind of ran it by she was just like yeah absolutely bring it on and it, it again it's just it's so memorable it's just it is brilliant it's a i think it's it's definitely it would be if there were kind of you know pillars that held up sort of british comedy and you know sort of going forward to sitcoms then Richard dibley would definitely be one of those columns i think a hundred percent a hundred percent Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, okay. So again, this is such a brilliant choice. Uh, onto your number three. Yes. And I'd be surprised if it hasn't popped up in other people's lists. Fleabag is my number three. Um, it was only narrowly beaten by the, 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 the following picks that we will reveal later on. But um, oh my goodness, I think the second series of Fleabag, particularly... I think the first episode of that series is one of the best episodes of television 
in the history of television. Like I've watched it so many times and it's just so brilliant based in that, all set in that restaurant. Uh, it's almost like a play, yeah. the way it, it unfolds. Um, obviously Fleabag, Phoebe Waller-Bridge um, stars as this nameless woman who we just all assume she's called Fleabag, so let's call her Fleabag. Um, and in the first series, she's clearly very um, troubled. She's dealing with her dad's new relationship with Olivia Coleman, who is brilliantly Amazing. evil. Amazing. So good. Um, and then obviously at the end of series one, we discover something, a very big plot twist, which I remember watching and going, <gasps> but I just the whole series... Phoebe was brilliant. Sean Clifford is just a revelation in the whole thing, I think. Her BAFTA is so well-deserved. Yeah. Um, and it was just so u- unique when it came out, the whole, the way it broke the fourth wall and how quick Phoebe is with the, like, talking to the audience and then talking to the characters. It sort of brought anti-heroine, complex female character yeah. to the, to it, the it, front. It wasn't, the... it wasn't always celebrating she did terrible things, but she was a she was a complex person. Like we are all complex people, and I feel so many other shows have tried to do the same thing, and they haven't quite pulled it off as well as Fleabag. Um, I mean, I could talk all day about Fleabag, but lastly, the hot priest Andrew Scott, so good, <laughs> so good in series two. Yeah. Oh, the the church scene, the Neil scene. Oh my goodness, Phoebe just like ticked all the boxes yeah. with that brilliant show. Yeah, and it, it it it's amazing considering where that came from, and it was you know essentially a one woman show that she yeah. kind of you know started doing in the you know top room of pubs and you know small theaters and whatever to then basically sort of rewriting the rule book for for sitcoms, and as you say that kind of fourth wall thing we'd seen it before, but I don't think we'd seen it done that well, mm. um, and she's just so. She's so charming and so disarming, but also so kind of messed up as well. It was just, I just think it was so brilliantly done. And and again, it just shows you how important an ensemble cast is because that, you know, the support that she got from her fellow performers in that just is what absolutely made it. And obviously she's in Indiana Jones now. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Playing front and centre in Indiana Jones as his goddaughter, I think, if I've got that correct. So, yeah, it's one one that I've still not one to watch yet. But um, anyway, listen, we've detracted a little bit from your list. So number three was Fleabag and and much deserved. So please do tell us about your number two top top TV pick. Yes. So number two is Space, which is just one of my all-time favourite shows ever. Um, I have to say I discovered it quite late really um it was when it came the whole thing came on netflix i think during the pandemic and i just binged it all and i'm a huge fan of the cornetto trilogy of like Wright, um simon pegg um nick frost all of them and jessica hines obviously but watching that you see just how much edgar Wrightness is in it yeah. just the way it's filmed yeah. it's um fast-pacedness um and it's just, again, it's a, a silly sitcom about people in their 20s not really knowing what they're doing with their life and just getting into ridiculous hijinks. Um, and I think one of my favourite episodes is the clubbing episode because nothing really happens in it, but the whole, just the whole essence of it does make you feel like you're there with them um, and... You know, they play the same kind of like uns, uns track 
throughout the whole thing. Um, oh, it's just, it's such a good sitcom. Perfect it, it, sitcom. It's, it's joyous is the mm -hmm. way I would describe it because it's, it's, um, yeah, I love the way that it's directed. I love that, you know, kind of Simon and Jessica wrote it. Um, the supporting cast, again, is brilliant. Um, Edgar's DNA is all the way through it. Mm -hmm. um, and you can tell that he's a director that thinks about how it's going to be in the edit, not necessarily how it's going to be once you've filmed it. And it, I think he's always trying to strive. And you can see things, you know, obviously the genesis of his, his career, you know, Baby Driver and, and such films that, you know, kind of he's they're like machine tooled everything that he makes you think yeah okay every, it's down to the, the the millisecond that he wants things timed correctly um and i think sort of simon obviously uh, you know kind of adheres to that kind of mentality as well um it's just yeah the, there's some it, funny enough because i i think it came out around about the same time that another sitcom which is a favorite of mine called green wing uh, Stephen yeah. Mangan. And again, that kind of had those sort of slightly surreal, slightly trippy bits, you know, kind of slow-mo, fast-paced, and then, you know, kind of, you know, surreal surreal bits of comedy, um, kind of bits of slapstick as well. And so both of them coming out at the same time was a kind of a real thing for me. Because at that point, I think in probably the mid to, mid to late 90s, I think especially British TV comedy was feeling a bit staid. It, was feeling, it felt very safe. Um, and obviously you had the behemoth that was friends at the, around at the time, which just kind of, you know, sort of took over everything. But in terms of the UK, I think both Spaced and Greenwing were very much kind of, you know, sort of mold breakers. Uh, and as you say, you can go and watch it now and it's still just as good, just as funny. So good. It, it holds up so well. I had a small, a small whelp of delight when I saw that in your list. So uh, brilliant. I'm very okay. pleased about that. And finally, after a fantastic top 10, I have to say, please tell us your number one choice is peep show now i was really torn between putting peep show in here or succession wow. and i didn't even include succession in my list but i thought you know what jesse armstrong can get yeah. one one yeah. piece of representation and i've chosen peep show because it is just i think it's one of, it's my all-time favorite sitcom it's so different again like channel four just love doing oh yeah strange off the wall yeah. things with comedy as we've heard further down on this list but peep show in particular just its pov format which just hasn't really been done no. since or before this uh peep show i i have friends who are like oh i don't like it because um mark and jeremy are just such you know they're not very nice people they're terrible characters but that's why you love it but uh, yeah, no, it's great. And again, another another example of how, you know, sort of something from small acorns to mighty oaks grow, you know, because David Mitchell is just is, is peerless on the things like, you know, would I lie to you? And obviously he's got unbelievable truth on Radio 4. And he's just, you know, he's just he's just great. He's just one of those people that you can listen to and, you know, can't can never, never forget um, Robert Webb's Flashdance appearance yes. on, uh, for Comic Relief, I think it was. Yeah, Let's were, Dance for Comic Relief. That's about... the, yeah. 10 years ago yeah it years? must be at least it's it's scary but yeah no it must be um fantastic listen i genuinely really really enjoyed that top 10 some some real surprises and some uh some outstanding picks in there uh and obviously you know kind of from me you know the space is is absolutely up there flea bag as well so it, yeah a, an absolutely brilliant top 10 so thank you so tell me how difficult was it oh my god it was so hard i think i agonized over it for 
at least 20 minutes just shuffling things around thinking like do I really want that in there and then like taking a step back and thinking gosh is my is my list too pale male and stale (laughs) 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 or too sitcom-y so it was so hard so hard Good, good. Well, I'm glad to hear it because I, I, you know, I, I want this to be something that people genuinely have to deliberate over because, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't, the tables don't get turned because I would really struggle to, to choose <laughs> my top ten. And 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 you know, you, you know, your honorary mentions like Succession, Broadchurch, I mean, Happy Valley, dear me, what mm-hmm. a, what a series. So yeah, no, for you to be able to leave those out, I think is incredibly brave. But also, obviously, you've chosen <laughs> you've chosen a brilliant top ten. Listen, I can't thank you enough. So tell. Tell our listeners um, where they can find your stuff. Um, so you can, I'm the deputy TV editor for the Reach magazine. So, okay, uh, the Sastic Express magazine. We love TV for the Mirror Notebook. Um, but you can also find me online um, at Lauren M345 on Twitter. So give me a follow. So thank you very much indeed. Thanks for your top 10. It's been an, an absolute pleasure and we shall uh, we shall surely uh, pick up with, with all of your excellent work. And uh, thank you again for, for coming on my top 10 TV. No, thank you so much for having me. Well, I think you'll agree that was pretty much flawless and very well presented by Lauren. I love the breadth of programmes. So if you've got a top 10 TV list in you, then drop us a line at You're On Mute Productions on X or Twitter or whatever he's called it this month. Threads and let us know your top 10 TV choices. Until next time, stay lucky and thanks for listening. My top 10 TV podcast is a You're On Mute original production.